me and my family a couple of them have come here till this morning look went out for a meal last night there were two people missing well there was more than two people missing well there were there were six seven people missing from our family group on uh, last night one is missing was missing because he's away out the Middle East four were missing because they were living in Newcastle and they, they hadn't come down and two was missing because they had booked up somewhere else for the night so they were in Cheltenham Cheltenham one of the big problems that we have is time and space because you can't be in the same place twice and certain things go on at certain times and sometimes you're in the wrong place we say to me you're in the wrong place at the wrong time or you're in the right place at the right time and you know there were Benjamin was gutted because he couldn't be in the family meal because he had booked to be somewhere else time and place was against him you know, when we think about the first Christmas, these two things were a problem as far as the birth of Christ was concerned. Where was he going to be born was a big issue, and when was he going to be born was a big issue. Now, of course, young ladies, they plan what's how they're going to have their baby where they're going to have their baby and uh, what time they're going to have their baby and uh, when the baby comes he upsets all the plans or she upsets all the plans and you've just got to go with it but Jesus was bringing a baby boy into the world God was bringing a baby boy into the world and you know as I said on Thursday he spent an awful time a lot of time planning where his, ch- his son would be born and he spent an awful lot of time planning when his son was born and when you read the scriptures you will find that even though their enemy tried to thwart those plans they came into fruition perfectly in the right place at the right time he wasn't uh, taken by surprise because Mary went into labour too soon or, or what. He was, it was absolutely, incredibly accurate. So what I want us to do this morning is to look at where and when Jesus was to be born. You know, on uh, Tuesday, well, we started to look at this subject, or Thursday, sorry, we started to look at this subject, and I used for a, a sort of a verse to bring it all together, the verse that uh, we find in Jeremiah, where it says, The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I, God, am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. You are never, is that more uh, real then when we think about the birth of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, we can see. You know, when on Thursday we saw that God, um, in time, promised in the Garden of Eden that his seed would come through uh, the woman. 
And then as we went through the Old Testament, we can see that he chose Abraham, that his seed would come through. Then we saw that he chose Isaac, that's where his seed would come through. Then we saw that he chose Jacob, and in choosing people, he, he put all the others out of the picture. Then he chose Judah, which would be the tribe that Jesus would come in, and then of course he chose Mary. Then you know we'd be zoomed right in on the very one person who fitted the description of what God had said 4,000 years earlier. Now wouldn't it be great if you can see that as far as time and place is concerned? Well, listen on. Because time and place is just as thrilling for us as we see God showing us his absolute sovereignty as he outlines so perfectly the sequence of events that will bring the birth of his son Jesus Christ to the exact place and at the exact time as he promised from his eternal standpoint and yet from our perspective more than five, six, seven hundred years before the event actually took place. So then, when? When was Christ going to be born? That's the question that we can ask first. When was God going to bring Jesus? Now, if it was up to me, it would have been immediately. You know, there, there was a problem on the earth. Sin was a problem. I would have brought up the answer immediately. But as you know, God isn't me. I am not him. He got better plans than me. And uh, there was a time when this was going to happen. And it was a designated hour that Jesus would come. Exactly the same as when he died. It was for at this certain time that I came into the world, says Jesus, to bring glory to your name. Jesus knew when he was about to die because his hour had come. An hour that had been planned from eternity. And um, an hour that came straight to the very place and the very time that Jesus hung upon the cross. So many of the prophecies would bring us that. Well, Paul says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In the fullness of time. Not a minute before and not a minute after, it was precisely at the strike of God's prophetic clock. Now there are a number of prophecies that give us a clue as to the timing of this first event. You know a lovely but contested verse from Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 seems to give us a time frame when this promised Messiah would arrive. And this is what um, Jacob said when he was dying. He says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from bef between his feet, until Shiloh comes. Now, it pains me to say, but the NIV would probably be more correct in saying, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come. Now that puts 
a, a certain time frame that you and I can measure when that happened. Now we know, don't we, that Israel had 12 tribes and each tribe had their own scepter or their own, we talked about it, uh, well we talked about it Friday I think, did I get my times mixed up? Uh, each time, each tribe had its own scepter. It was a stick. If you remember when, um, uh, when they complained about Moses' authority, uh, God said to Moses, "Tell them all to bring their sticks to the tabernacle." And uh, that's they are the scepters, and they put them in the tabernacle, of course. And Aaron's stick budded and brought forth leaves and almonds and stuff. Therefore, God says, "This is my authority." Well, that those sticks became the symbol of authority for each tribe. It was the tribal staff which ratified tribal uh, identity. And so the identity of Judah, this is what God is saying, the identity of Judah will not pass away until Shiloh, or could we say the Prince of Peace, should come. Now all the other tribes, with the exception of Benjamin, disappeared. You know, when they went into captivity, they never really returned. So that takes away ten of those sticks. Ten tribes were gone. So there was left just Judah and Benjamin. They'd all lost their identity. Isn't that strange? That Judah still had his. He still had his identity. You know, they had lost theirs, but Judah still had his right at the end when Cyrus the king of Persia made arrangements for the Israelites to return from Babylon it was the, it was the heads of Judah and Benjamin who would respond listen to what it says the heads of the fathers houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all those whose spirits God had moved arose to go up from Babylon to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. So two heads out of twelve. That was close, wasn't it? <coughs> we're not awful close. But God is in control. And one of those heads was Judah's head. Judah's uh, staff, Judah's scepter was still there. Now during the time of Christ, we can see the seat of authority slipping away from the Jews at a rate they were beginning to lose everything you know, in, in fact in 40 years they would be kicked out of their land and they wouldn't return for over nearly 2,000 years so this is a, a, a sort of a, a, a critical moment in history that G, when Jesus was born they were, the authority was slipping away at a rate Herod was on the throne for a start he wasn't even a Jew Pilate was the, uh, the, the, the boss if you like of Israel he was a Roman the Jews were so low down in the pecking order when Jesus um, came they were still hanging on but by the time that Jesus was 12 12, when he first visited the temple, history tells us that Judah had by then lost its royal and legal power. And of course this appears in the Jewish writings themselves. This is what it says. Woe unto us 
This was said in the time of Christ. Woe unto us, for the scepter has been taken from Judah, and the Messiah has not appeared. It was a massive problem to the Jews, because the scepter had gone. It had gone then, just when Jesus was born. Just when Jesus was born. You know, when Jesus was in the temple, speaking to all the hierarchy of the Jews and baffling them with his understanding of the Old Testament, their main concern was that the scepter had departed from the authority that had departed from Judah and the Messiah hadn't come. And yet there he was. A 12-year-old boy. Sitting in their midst. And they didn't know. And they didn't understand. Or they wouldn't accept and believe. But he was there. He was there the exact moment that the scepter was taken away. You wonder, that's an amazing thing. Because of all the thousands of years, it's down to these twelve years that we are dealing with. The time that he was born and the time that the scepter was taken away. He was there on the earth. How amazing is that? You know, of course, um, David took us through uh, Daniel 70 weeks a number of years ago. And um, and we are all still as baffled as we were uh, before, me dear. <laughs> and um, say I don't pretend to know any more uh, than what David told us. Perhaps we will as we go through Thursday nights next year. Perhaps we'll come to an understanding. I don't know. Uh, I doubt it. But um, from the decree of Cyrus to restore the, and rebuild the temple until Messiah, the prince, uh, there would be 69 weeks or Shavuas, uh, which, that, which are sevens. And uh, so from the moment recorded for us in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 2 until the coming of the Messiah, there would be 430 years. Right now, that's now that's a, an amazingly accurate prophecy, because within that four hundred and thirty eighty three years, Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared. You know, this was a, a prophecy that Daniel gave four hundred and thirty years earlier, and yet here he is on the scene. The Messiah will come. The Prince will come, and then it says, "And he will be cut off, but not for himself, for his people." Who's that? Well, there's only one person that has been cut off, not for himself, but for his people, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He died, not for himself, but for you and I. So who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus. And here he is. He's arrived on the scene. Now, we don't, I don't really know or understand if that talks actually of his birth or of his death. But we are certainly in the time frame of when God has planned to bring his son to the world. You know, and, um, and two other prophecies. Mal- Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And then in Zechariah chapter 11, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the money, that Judas had. Throw it to the potter. That pricely set price they set on me. 
So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. You know, and both actually include references to the temple. The temple. Now we know that the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So Jesus couldn't have come after AD 70. Because the temple would not have been there. And all these things, Jesus come into the temple to overthrow the tables, if you remember. Judas throwing the money back into the temple could never have happened if Jesus was born later than AD 70. Now, another thing about the temple, of course, is that within the temple courts, all the records of births and deaths and marriages were kept. It's, it was Jerusalem Somerset House. Right? There was no online. You couldn't go online and find out who you are them days. You had to go to the temple. And if you notice that Matthew starts with genealogy and Luke starts with genealogy, after AD 70, those genealogies had been destroyed. The records of Christ's ancestors were destroyed in the fire in AD 70. So we have this little time frame. It's only a small little slot in the whole of history. 6,000 years of history and there is a time slot of 70 years. And within that 70 years there is another time slot of when the scepter would depart. And Jesus had to come before that happened and before the temple was destroyed. Otherwise, he would not be able to prove his deity or his messiahship. You know, and when he was born and when he found he founded the faith through his the, the choosing of the disciples and the and his dying and rising again, the two two of his disciples went to the temple in order to record his claim to the throne of David. And here they are written for us in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 1. How fortunate is that? That he came exactly when God said he would. You know, and that's something for us to rejoice in. The Jews are bemoaning the fact that they can't go to the temple to identify their Messiah. But he's already come. And he's already identified in so many different ways. And we are here this morning rejoicing in the fact that Jesus, that God brought forth his son in the fullness of time. At the exact moment, not a moment before and not a moment after. And history will tell us that Jesus was born completely in the right time frame. Isn't that amazing? Now Benjamin couldn't do that. For a party on a Saturday night. He messed up. Right? God did it before the foundation of the world. You know, and 4,000 years later, he brought it to pass exactly how he said. So that's time. Because you see, God hasn't got no problem with time. Because he sits outside it. He's not worried about time. No, we want him to hurry up. But he's not worried. He's not worried. He's sitting chilling. Sitting and chilling. But what about the place? What about the place of Christ's birth? 
And I suppose that where Jesus was born is also bound up by this time scale. You know, it's important for us to understand that yes, he was born in Bethlehem, but it had to be at a certain point in time. And this time scale wasn't a 70 year time scale, it was a very small little time scale, as we can see. You see, of all the cities in the world, where would God come to earth? You know, think of all the big cities that he could have chosen. London is a big city. You know, wouldn't it be great if he came to London? Because we say, don't we, that the world has come to London. Everybody, every nation in the world, somehow or other, lives in London. And we, or we could say New York. What about New York? Every nation in the world. You know, um, Carol went to New York the other day. And she didn't like it there. Because all the food was the same. And I thought, no. No, you've got Chinatown. You got you got I expect you got Indian you Indian cuisine, you got Mexican cuisine, you got French cuisine, you got Chinese cuisine, you got all the cuisines because all the nations are there. And wouldn't it be easier for God to introduce his son to a, a, a city where all the nations were represented? He could have he could have got throughout the whole world in one foul swoop. But what did he choose? You know, in the last place in the world that you and I would choose to bring God into the world would be Bethlehem. Because it is the most insignificant, ramshackle place in the whole of the world, probably. It's a downtrodden place. It's a dirty place. And it's a small place. Who knows about Bethlehem? God, why didn't you pick a better place than that to bring you a son? But of course, Micah tells us very plainly, he puts a pin in the map and he says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. Now that is a definite prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus Christ or coming of God in the flesh. You want know, it points to Bethlehem. And notice also it points to Bethlehem in Judah. Now we know there are two Bethlehems in, in Israel, but it's to the one in Judah specifically that God has chosen. You know and um, and this is where perfect timing comes in. Because Mary, who he had chosen, we saw Thursday, he had chosen before the foundation of the world to bring forth his son, didn't live there. Now that's a bit of a problem. He didn't know to us, perhaps we can, you know, we got people here today who've actually come to this country from South Africa. And it's no big deal, is it, Max? It's no big deal, you just got on a plane and off to go. No, yeah. <laughs> but we don't go into the sort of the emotional details of it, right? We just go into the physical details of it. Africa is only over by there now, right? It's just a, a stone's throw away as far as we are concerned now. But can you imagine that 
60-70 miles at this point in time for a woman who is nine months pregnant that's an awful long way to go especially if you haven't got a reason to go isn't it? an awful long way to go she lived in Nazareth uh, of Galilee and so of course did her husband now of course it would have been different if he lived in Bethlehem and they met one day and he says come down to Bethlehem and live with me and we can bring up a family no they both lived in Galilee they both lived in Nazareth so basically speaking when we come to the Christmas story they were living in the wrong place you know God had promised that he would bring forth the Messiah through Mary he told her that the child that was in would be the, the product of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and he would be the Holy Son of God and yet, she was living in the wrong place. If her son was going to be the Messiah, then something amazing must happen. Something amazing must happen to get her from the top of the country to the bottom of the country. You know, And then, of course, the Bible tells us that there was a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus. You know, and um, you notice, especially when we think of the, the birth, that God always works within man's framework. You know, that here is a, a man who had no thought of God, Augustus. You know, what, what was happening? His coffers were getting low. You know, and he needed to raise an army or he needed to build a, a city. So he's gonna, decided that he's going to tax everybody in his, in his empire. You know, and um, of course he did this a number of times, did he tax people. You know, and um, there is a, a wall in Turkey. You know, the, you know they did, they, the old people, the old, not the old people, the ancient people, used to put all their uh, exploits on a wall. If he, was, uh, if he went to Egypt, you could see battles that had been put on walls. And if you go to Rome, you can see, you know, the things that had been put on walls to, to um, sort of keep them for, uh, for history. And in Turkey, there is a, in a Roman tu- temple in Turkey, this taxation, this Caesar's taxation, has been recorded on a wall in a temple in Turkey. You see, there were actually three great tax collections um, around about this. And it's the second one uh, that went out four years before Jesus was born. Now, I don't know if some of you can remember the poll tax. Margaret Thatcher's poll tax. Remember that, Val? Can you remember the problems it caused? Can you remember the rioting in London? And, the, and sort of the, the police with their shields and, and uh, the firebombs and all that. Why? Because Margaret Thatcher decided that she's going to tax everybody, whoever you are. It was called the poll tax. And in the end, she had to drop it. Such was the power of, uh, of democracy in those days that she had to drop the poll tax and it became the, count, the council tax or something or something else. So she had to drop. Well, times don't change. Because the Jews, when they heard that they were going to be taxed, they rose up as one and decided that they would challenge the tax. And there were riots. And there were this, that and the other. You know, and Caesar had to sort of regroup a bit. 
And it took him four years to get the tax done. Four years. The, the, the decree was given four years before Christ. And it took him four years to enact it. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Because during that four years, Mary had become pregnant with the Lord. And Mary was about to give birth. But she was living in Galilee. And she should be in Nazareth. But a part of this taxing was that you went back to your hometown. And of course these were sons of David. And David's city was down in Jerusalem. So they had to come down from Galilee to Bethlehem to give to register and be taxed exactly at the time when Jesus was about to be born. A man called Dr. Meldu, not Victor, it was another, it was another Meldu. <laughs> and this is what he says, neither Mary nor Caesar nor the Roman tax collectors did the time in. Nor were they in charge of affairs. But the God who rules the world behind the scenes had his hand on the wheel. And he literally moved the peoples of the world and timed everything to the very day that Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem. In the nick of time that Jesus, the chosen Messiah, might be born in the right place designated by the infallible finger of God's prophecy isn't that amazing it's absolutely amazing you know some people have, uh, have been confused as to the place of Christ you know um, because of what I read earlier in my word uh, out, of Israel, out of Egypt um, I will call my son that's what I read that Specifically because I knew I would be quoting it here. Out of Egypt I will call my son. Which is another prophecy concerning Jesus. You know and. Um, but it is Matthew's account. Uh, of the birth narrative. That of course brings this to light. You know all of us would know from Sunday school. When uh, of Herod. With uncontrollable anger. And jealousy went into Bethlehem and killed every child under the age of two. But as we've talked about so often in this place, God's plan is never thwarted. His purposes are never thwarted. And before that happened, God told Joseph in a dream to take Mary and the child and flee specifically to Egypt. Now if they could have fled anywhere, anywhere in the Middle East would have been a safe haven for Joseph, Mary and Jesus. But specifically he said, take the boy and your wife down into Egypt. Because there is, it'll be from there that I will call my son. See the prophet, the prophecies are absolutely incredible as we've been looking at on, on a Thursday. You know, and, um, and of course, when he comes back, 
he comes back not to Bethlehem anymore, but he comes back to Nazareth. Why? Well, because another prophecy says, and he shall be called a Nazarene. A Nazarene. Be careful, because some people think he's called a Nazarite. They're two different things. A Nazarite is somebody who don't cut their hair and don't drink any wine. Right? That's a Nazarite. A Nazarene is simply a person who comes from Nazareth. And Jesus was a Nazarene, not because he cut, didn't cut his hair or didn't drink wine, because he did, and he made some lovely stuff as well. He came, he was called a Nazarene because he was from Nazareth. See, all the prophecies of time and place have dovetailed together and fitted into the perfect time and the perfect place. Step by step, Jesus follows the blueprint of prophecy. Its timing, its location are all under the watchful eye of the Lord of eternity. You know, and such a countdown is taking place in our day today. We are racing. And it's getting quicker and quicker to Christ's second advent. You know, when we look at the atrocities and the blasphemies that are taking place in our country today, then we can definitely say that the coming of the Lord is nigh. That time which has been indelibly set in the mind of God. You are no scheme of man and no power of hell can thwart that plan or change the details of it. Because God is sovereign. Sovereign enough to overcome all the insurmountable problems that are there. We see it in the birth. There are insurmountable problems to Jesus being born in Bethlehem at the time he was. But God overcome them all because he is sovereign. And there is nothing that can thwart the plans of God. You know, I'm not Joseph and Mary. They were the objects of God's perfect plan for then. But God has got a perfect plan for now. You know, on one of these days, He's going to take me to be with Himself. You know, it might be through the air, it might be through the grave. But one thing I know, that when God calls me home I will spend eternity with him because Christ was born in Bethlehem born of a woman born under the law in order to redeem us from the curse of the law when that time when he wants us home home he'll get us when he's good and ready for his name's sake, amen.